Hey everybody, it is Trags, and this week on Red Sox Beat, I talk with Matt Collins, the editor-in-chief of Over the Monster, a terrific SB Nation blog covering all things your hometown Boston Red Sox. I'll tell you what, Matt, it is going to be one heck of a finish for the Red Sox over these final 17 games, and I'm just curious to get your feel for where they stand. I know you have uh, an article up on overthemonster.com uh, as to what is in store for the Red Sox as they battle not only the Blue Jays and Yankees in the American League Eastern Division for that uh, wild cards, one of two wild card spots, but Seattle and Oakland as well. Yeah, it's got it's gotten a lot closer than I think um, most people are expecting, even just like six weeks ago or so. Um, at that point, it kind of seemed like Everything was sort of set. There was still some question about who would win the division, but it seemed like it was going to be Tampa, New York, and Boston were going to be in the playoffs, and that was that. It was just a matter of seeding. But, I mean, at this point, it's hard not to just be absolutely terrified by everything the Blue Jays um, have to offer right now. I mean, they seem like the team to beat in that wild card race. And then the other four teams are just included, and this includes the Red Sox, are just extremely flawed. They have some areas of the roster that can carry them, and somebody's obviously going to get there but um to me it seems like it's the blue jays and everybody else and right now the red sox are part of the everybody else fighting for that second spot yeah and you know the thing i find matt is that with the toronto blue jays everybody spoke about for about five months how hot they could get well they're getting hot at as you write impossibly (laughs) hot at just the right time i mean they have you know they were hovering around five six games over 500 for a good portion of the year obviously they started the year uh down in uh Dunedin at their spring training home then they migrated north to Buffalo until uh Canada allowed them per their probed protocol uh, protocols in Ontario uh, the province of Ontario to come back home uh in the middle of July they've handled all of that uh, incredibly well and now they seem to have really hit their stride yeah, I mean, when you throw all that in and then they have their entire roster is not young, but I mean, a good chunk of their core is still young players. I mean, I think obviously last season, you can say what you want about last season, but they did make the playoffs. They got a little bit of that experience. So um, they were able to weather that storm that you were talking about. And I mean, just now the talent's just coming through. I mean, they have they have as much top end talent as just about anyone in baseball outside, maybe the Dodgers. Um, and it's been all season waiting for everybody to be healthy at the same time and everybody to kind of hit their stride at the same time. But right now, I don't know that there's a team, I mean, including the division winners, I don't know that there's a team in baseball right now that I would be more fearful of than the Blue Jays. Uh, no kidding. I mean, they, as you said, uh, they have won 14 of 16 uh, heading into this week. Uh, but let's focus a little bit uh, before we get to the rest of the wild card race on your Boston Red Sox. And uh, they have gone through predictably a very difficult time simply because of, I think, the way COVID-19 has just hammered this roster. Obviously, Chris Sale gets back. He was 3-0, and uh, and he winds up on, on COVID-19. And that is, I think, as much a blow uh, psychologically as it is to their actual, start, actual starting rotation itself. Um, you know, he uh, was essentially the ace that they acquired hit the trade deadline the new acquisition so to speak and to have him go on COVID-19 and we don't know how long he's going to be out but um, you know they need to get him back as soon as he can possibly get back 
Yeah, I mean, before, when he was making his way back, um, when he was in his minor league rehab, we heard, like you said, about him being the big trade deadline acquisition. And um, even beyond just the talent, just the feeling of having him at the top of the rotation and just having him back in the clubhouse every day, it was such, um, it was very lifting for the team. I mean, it had to be. So to lose him again right away, and like you said, you don't know for how long, the hope is that it's only for the 10 days. So he only misses one or two starts. And then um, at the end of the day, you can probably manage through that. But just the, blow it takes to the clubhouse and a clubhouse that's already reeling both from COVID and just losing all these games and losing your star pitcher. The, I mean, probably the face of the franchise at this point um, when he was sort of the, he was the leading hope uh, coming out of the deadline when they didn't really do anything. It's just, it's hard to overstate how big of a blow that can be for the clubhouse. And this is not a situation as we all know, speaking with Matt Collins, the, a uh, terrific editor of OverTheMonster.com on SB Nation. Uh, this is not a situation that Chris Sale controls. He has to pass all of the protocols. It's much like the concussion protocols in the NFL. You have to uh, pass certain milestones before you are permitted back on the roster, correct? Yeah, and it's different for um, vaccinated and unvaccinated players. So Nick Pavetta came back for Sunday start, um, and he hadn't been out for the full ten days, but he had been vaccinated. So um, if they're if you're unvaccinated or if you are vaccinated and you are non-symptomatic, um, you can come back earlier. Chris Sale, they haven't said anything, but typically when they don't say anything, that means right. they're unvaccinated. So he will have to wait at least the full ten days, and then he'll still have to go through testing and uh, symptom testing and all that. So. Um, I can't really speak too much to the concussion protocols, um, to be honest, but it is uh, sort of a convoluted situation. Well, I mean, I, I guess the reason I bring that up is, you know, it, when you're dealing with a, an actual old fashioned injury, there are things you can do to maybe get yourself through that injury, um, maybe uh, shorten the amount of time that you are in rehab and get back sooner. Right. I mean, a lot of players have done that in the past yeah. uh, and that's no shock, but with this, uh, there are certainly uh, there's the seriousness of the uh, virus itself. There's the pandemic and there's uh, really the concern, I think, in a city like Boston uh, and in an organization like the Red Sox that has hit been hit particularly hard by COVID-19. Uh, they don't want to mess around and they don't want to take any shortcuts. That's, I guess, the point I was making. No, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. And it's not I mean, a normal injury. It's really between. The training staff, the player, and the team on when they're coming back. And when you have something like COVID-19, there are, um, right. I mean, there are federal regulations. There are obviously league rules that you have to pass. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's definitely a different situation. Speaking with Matt Collins, the editor of OverTheMonster.com, brought to you by SB Nation. It's that time of year again, and all eyes are now turning to football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including Online's biggest half-million-dollar NFL mega contest and the world's largest $200,000 NFL Survivor Contest open now at Bet Online. Head on over to the website, or of course, you can use your mobile device to sign up today using the promo code NFL100 to receive your 100% welcome bonus. Back with Matt Collins of OverTheMonster.com. Let's talk about Garrett Whitlock. He did come back on Sunday against the Chicago White Sox in a heartbreaking 2 1 loss. Um, out at guarantee rate field uh, out in the windy city the red sox losing two of three again 
um, to a team that figures to be a prominent uh, factor in the postseason. Uh, the White Sox running away with things in the American League Central. Whitlock, um, he came into the game with a one sub two ERA, uh, but he gives up the game winning home run to Louis. Um, let me get the name right here before I mess it up. <laughs> Uh, Lurie Garcia. Uh, yeah, Lurie Garcia. Thank you. And <laughs> he gave up uh, Garcia's second home run in as many games. And, uh, you know, that was the only blemish on what was a pretty strong outing. He had struck out the first two batters. What did you think? Yeah, I mean, that was um, I that was one of the things I was curious about for the stretch run was how they were going to push Whitlock. And this was on back-to-back days, which I don't believe we had seen previously previously this season, maybe it had happened once, but um, they've generally been trying to avoid that. So I was interested to see how he looked. And I mean, obviously the result is not what you're looking for. He blew the game, the, and the game was the home run was a walk-off, but like you said, he had struck out the first two batters and even on the home run, he had gotten ahead. Oh, two. So it wasn't, um, it wasn't a situation where he looked like he was tired and he was kind of yanking pitches um, and looking like a fatigued pitcher. He, it looked like something that he should be able to handle the rest of the way. So um, it's kind of weird to say when games are this important and it was a loss to call that a positive. But to me, it was a little bit of a positive with how sharp he still looked pitching on back-to-back days because, I mean, the COVID issue has sort of run through the bullpen in a way that it has sure in has. some of the other parts of the roster. <laughs> so um, Whitlock is extremely important for this team going down the stretch. So if they're able to rely on him on back-to-back days like that, it does um, raise their floor at least a little bit. Now, you published an article on Saturday. The Red Sox have a Garrett Whitlock decision to make. And you say the Red Sox has been the Red Sox bullpen has been the subject of much consternation in recent weeks after the front office opted for only mid-tier additions at the deadline. Uh, it's something that I think a lot of fans harped on. Uh, obviously, they wanted a first baseman, but they also wanted a boost to the uh, bullpen. And, uh, you know, obviously the Red Sox pretty much uh, decided to settle on what they had. Um, First of all, uh, your thoughts on on where they go moving forward with Garrett Whitlock. That's that's one of that's probably going to be the most interesting question for me in the offseason. I think you kind of have to develop him as a starter after the season. Um, I know how good he's been in the bullpen, but I think. You can, it's easier to find open arms and free agency as long as they're willing to pay the price. So, whether that's in prospects or uh, money in free agency. Uh, but that's easier to find than what Whitlock can be, which is I don't expect him to necessarily be an ace, but I think he can be a good mid rotation starter. And when they picked him in rule five, I think that was what they were envisioning. I don't think they ever really expected him to end up as their best reliever. Um, obviously, we've seen these kind of decisions in the past. Um, I think of Daniel Bard, I think of Jonathan Papelbon. Um, from about a decade ago and some of those decisions have been hard to make obviously the buyer decision didn't work out they kept Papelbon in the bullpen that worked out fantastically he was an incredible reliever for a long time but I think with Whitlock you at least have to try it um, and he has a guy um, in his clubhouse and Chris Sale who kind of went through a similar um, process and early right. in his career he came up as a reliever and then switched to the, um, the rotation so I think that's where you have to go um, obviously that's not something that they have to start working on it till the off season, but that's where I would be looking long-term. You point out um, Whitlock has shocked even the most optimistic among us pitching to a 1.86 ERA over 
That was obviously before uh, Sunday. Uh, pitching to a 1.86 ERA over 62 and two thirds innings, striking out 27.5% of his opponents while walking only 5.4%. Among all relievers in baseball this year, only 14 have a higher war by fan graphs, and only two have a higher war by baseball references measure. That's pretty damn good. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, like I said, I mean, I don't think anybody, I don't think Hein Bloom, I don't think anybody in the front office is expecting um, them to lean on Whitlock as much. And he's certainly earned it. And um, there was some talk uh, even before spring training that his stuff had been picking up a little bit, uh, but obviously nobody got to see it because there was no minor league baseball last season. Um, so I think there was a little bit of optimism. I was pretty excited, but I thought the best case scenario would be that he would be something like the fourth best reliever in the bullpen. So um, it's really hard to overstate the, just how good his stuff looks um, and his poise on the mound. I mean, he's being thrown into big time situations as a rookie, having never pitched about right. double A before the season and just doesn't appear to be affecting him at all. Do you think Heim Bloom is uh, going with the approach that a lot of baseball personnel people go with, and that is build up stockpile as many powerful, hard throwing arms as possible and just uh, let the manager kind of uh, sift through where they fit in the, pitching staff, whether starting it, whether it's the starting rotation, middle relief or the back end. It's sort of, I mean, I think he obviously came from the Rays who, um, I mean, nobody in baseball is better at building a bullpen than the Rays. Um, and a lot of it is just getting a lot of those hard throwers, but it's also getting a lot of different looks. And I don't know that the Red Sox have quite gotten there yet, but if you look at the Rays bullpen um, over the years, it's not just that they have great stuff. They come in at different arm angles. They come in, some guys are slider guys, some guys are change up guys. And, um, you have to have a great manager and um, a great scouting, scouting department to know what team's weaknesses are, what specific hitters' weaknesses are, and kind of mix and match that way. So I think that's ultimately the goal for the Red Sox, but um, it's easier said than done, and it takes it takes a great pitching development system in the minors, which I think the Red Sox are getting a lot better at that over the last few years, but historically that has been probably the biggest weakness as an organization is developing pitchers. The one thing that I don't think Alex Cora always gets enough credit for is kind of getting a feel for the temperament of the picture and who can handle back end uh, situations, end of the game situations like the ninth inning and who's just not comfortable in that spot. And I think, you know, early in his career, I think there was questions about Matt Barnes in that in that role. And I think Alex Cora has kind of um, massaged him into feeling a little bit more comfortable uh, in that role. Would you agree with that? Yeah, mostly. Um, I mean, I think I'll, I'll be honest for basically Barnes this entire career. I've been um, almost the number one fan of Matt Barnes. So I think I've been a little higher on him than most people throughout his career, but I do um, agree that Cora has definitely made him more comfortable in that role. And I do think that that is um, number one among Cora's uh, characteristics as a manager is his ability to connect to players. And like you said, not Absolutely. only to be able to figure out who can handle those situations, but get guys who are maybe on the borderline to feel more comfortable in those situations. And um, I mean, he talks about it a lot and it can be frustrating on a day to day that he has a plan um, and he communicates that plan to the players. And sometimes it seems like he should probably change that plan based on the game flow, but he's very good at sticking with what players know are going to happen and that's that's a big part of uh being able to build a successful bullpen is having everybody know their roles and know when they're going to come in and just be ready for what situation they're going to be thrown into 
Speaking with Matt Collins, the editor of OverTheMonster.com on SB Nation. You can follow his work uh, on Twitter at OverTheMonster. Today's Red Sox beat is powered by the Legends brand, an athlete-owned apparel brand that is popping up seemingly everywhere these days, including many pro locker rooms and on some of today's pro, top pro athletes. Legends is owned in part by athletes like Steve Nash, Matt Barnes, Baker Mayfield, and NFL legend and local icon Willie McGinnis, and even former Celtic Marcus Morris Sr., among many others. Legends makes high-performance apparel with a style and comfort you'll want to wear all day. Visit legends.com today and see why athletes everywhere are swapping out their big box brands for Legends Apparel. Use the code SOX20, that's S-O-X-2-0, and save 20% on your first order. Again, again that's legends.com, promo code SOX20. The offer ends October 10th. Back with Matt Collins of overthemonster.com, and uh, I want to get back to uh, the Red Sox, but uh, this time focus on the offense, and what kind of impact do you think Kyle Schwarber has made at the top of the order? I mean, he's just been such a different kind of hitter than what they've had um, all season. And that's not obviously not to say the offense has been bad. I think for the most part, that's been the strength of this team all year, but it's been a very aggressive kind of offense. Mm -hmm. um, they swing early in counts. They don't always swing at the best pitches to hit. Um, and when you have guys like Rafael Devers and JD Martinez, I mean, they can obviously make good contact on just about anything. So it's not too harmful, but it's nice to have a guy like Schwarber who knows the strike zone just about as any, as well as anybody I can remember seeing in recent Red Sox history. Um, he draws walks, he gets deep into counts and he can hit the ball um, with authority. We haven't seen a ton of the power, probably not as much as I think most of us were expecting, but just having that patient's presence, um, it does seem to be rubbing off on some players. I think Bobby Dahlbeck would be yes. um, <laughs> the best example of that, but um yeah, just having that patient approach is it's just such a change up and it gives the pitchers something else to think about where um, for most of the season, they've just been able to kind of fling it in there and hope for the best. Uh, you know, we bring up Kyle Schwarber the day after he goes over four with uh, three strikeouts. Uh, not the greatest timing to bring that up, but, you know, for the most part, what he's been able to do at the top of the order, like you said, he's a unique type of leadoff hitter. He didn't hit leadoff, of course. Uh, on Sunday, he was he's hitting uh, second behind Kiki Hernandez. But um, still, I, I think what they were or have been able to get out of Kyle Schwarber, uh, it took a couple of weeks for him to get comfortable, I think. But I think he's starting to hit his stride. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's still some fit issues with how you get everybody in the lineup with Schwarber. He's not the cleanest fit defensively, but um, offensively, he's pretty much exactly what the doctor ordered for this lineup. Are you of the belief that Bobby Dahlbeck is coming in into his own and is feel, looking a lot more comfortable at the plate. Cause I made this point last week and I was speaking with Alex Barth of 98.5 the sports hub. And, and I said, it looks like for all the world that Bobby Dahlbeck learned how to take more pitches. And it, it's just kind of revolutionized the way uh, he's been able to grow uh, in the Red, Red Sox order. Yeah. I mean, I think the plate discipline is obviously, um, I mean, it's improved leaps and bounds. I don't know necessarily how much I'm still buying into Dahlbeck long-term being a lineup anchor. Um, I've always kind of thought that he was something of something like an average league average hitter. And he's the kind of profile, a guy that swings and misses a lot um, who might go on really hot streaks and really cold streaks. And we've obviously seen both ends of that yes. spectrum um, this year. My 
comp for him has always been Mark Reynolds from like the mid two thousands, who was a solid hitter, probably before his time. Um, definitely would fit in more today, where strikeouts aren't really um, considered as much of a bad thing. But um, I do think Dahlbeck is a solid starter at first base, but I don't necessarily believe that he's going to be a number five hitter for the rest of his career or anything like that. Boy, I you know this is a hot stretch. Dahlbeck had a going into Sunday had seven home runs and nineteen RBIs in his last fourteen games. He's one of 11 Red Sox rookies, Matt Collins, ever to hit 21 or more home runs in a season. Only eight have hit more than 21. In 141 career games, he has hit 29 home runs with 87 RBIs. Look, t- power translates in any era of baseball. And I think the fact that he's been able to do what he's been able to do for the Red Sox gave them a boost when everybody else was really going cold. Yeah, I mean, between the COVID issues and everybody going cold, um, Dahlbeck, yeah, like you said, he was exactly what they needed. They needed somebody to step up. That's sort of been the story of the lineup this year is that they've had um, Bogart, Stevers, Martinez, now Schwarber, but obviously he wasn't there most of the year. But those guys have been the core, and then they've needed some other guys to step up, whether it's been Kike Hernandez, Hunter Renfro has obviously been a huge part of the lineup all year too, but Dahlbeck, has been as hot as any of those guys have been at any point this season. Um, and he's been the antidote to those slumps and to those injuries and to the COVID issues. Um, and I mean, it's obviously things haven't gone well, but it's hard to, it's hard to think about where they would be, how even worse they would be if Dahlbeck hadn't gone on that hot stretch um, at that point. I think they would have fallen right out of the wild card race. They, is what I think yeah, probably. Um, yeah. So we get to the critical stretch right now this week. If the Red Sox, to me, can take two out of three from Seattle, and that's a big ask on the road, no off day, traveling from the central time zone to the uh, you know Pacific time zone, and on a Monday night, they need to take two out of three from Seattle. Otherwise, I think they're going to be in, in severe danger of missing the playoffs. I agree with you. I mean, I, I wrote about last week that they kind of needed to just not totally collapse against the good teams. And that meant just taking one against the Rays, taking one against Chicago. It's not ideal, but you can live with it. But now they're getting into the stretch. They're playing Seattle. Obviously, Seattle is in the wild card race with them. Um, but I think most people would probably consider them at the bottom tier of the team still in the race. And then they have a series against Baltimore. They play the Mets. I mean, this is the time where they need to turn it on. Um, they can't really afford to just keep winning one out of three. And you're right. I mean, this series, we've. I feel like we've been saying it about every other series, but this really feels like um, the biggest series of the season so far um, against a team that if they can sweep, but you never really expect a team to sweep or ask for a team to sweep. But if they can, they can all but bury the man, uh, Mariners and make it a 14 race. So, like, uh, I want to go over the standings as we uh, record this on Monday morning. Toronto's 80 and 63. The Red Sox, 81 and 64. The Yankees are 79 and 63. They're a half game behind the Red Sox. Oakland and Seattle, um, let's see, I did not uh, get the Sunday results, but going into Sunday, they were 77 and 65. They were tied two and a half games. Uh, behind the Red Sox. So uh, the point is, and and I think you touched on it, obviously, if the Red Sox can even take two of three from Seattle, I think that it goes a long ways toward uh, putting one of those teams sort of in the rearview mirror. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, um, with Oakland too, I mean, both of these teams 
Oakland and Seattle aren't exactly hot. I mean, Toronto is really the only team that seems like they want a playoff uh, spot right. out of these five teams. So if the Red Sox can turn it on, it's not they would be one of two teams that are turning it on. So um, you're absolutely right. Well, and and then we look past Seattle. The Red Sox come home for three with the Orioles, who have been putting up a bit of a fight lately. And I say that meaning uh, they're not getting swept constantly three games in a row. Uh, but they have three at Fenway against Baltimore next weekend. Then they have two against the Mets, three against the Yankees at home. Then they finish up with six on the road at Baltimore at Washington. Point is, once they get past Seattle, I think that the schedule is incredibly favorable for the Red Sox. Yeah, I mean, this was um, when you were looking out um, even like a month ago, looking out at what the Red Sox had to do. This was where you were hoping for them to be, and you just needed them to be still in the picture, still in the hunt at this point. Um, and they are, and it's now just a matter of taking care of business. I think a lot of people sometimes can... I don't know if overrates the right word, but they put a lot of emphasis on how teams do against good teams. And obviously you want to beat good teams, especially looking ahead to the playoffs, but um, really baseball is just about being, not being terrible against the good teams and then beating up on the teams that you're supposed to beat up on. And that's where the Red Sox are. I mean, especially they have six games against Baltimore. They should really win five of those. Um, they're just, they're not playing a lot of contenders and they, the contenders they are playing in New York and Seattle are not playing the best baseball and are not the scariest rosters right now. What are you working on this week? Anything uh, we should be on the lookout for at over the monster? Uh, nothing specific right now. Uh, this point of the year, it's kind of just taking what every day gives us and uh, figuring it out from there. You yeah, never the, know what's going to happen. The storyline of the Boston Red Sox in a pennant race fighting for their playoff rise lives, I think, is enough of a storyline for anybody. I want to thank everybody for downloading today's podcast. Thank our terrific guest, Matt Collins of OverTheMonster.com on SB Nation. You can follow his work on Twitter at over. The monster. Also, want to thank our terrific sponsors, the Legends brand and betonline.ag. For Matt Collins, I'm Mike Petralia, and this has been the Red Sox Beat Podcast powered by CLNS Media.